You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Message Number One. Hello my radio friends. I welcome you to today's program and I hope you will be blessed as you listen and learn. Previously I mentioned to you that there is a movement which I believe was raised up by God to proclaim a a special message to the inhabitants of this rusty old world prior to the return of Jesus. And that is the movement to which I belong. So what is the message and where is it found in the Bible? Well, it's known as the three angels' messages and it's in Revelation chapter 14. There are three distinct messages for the inhabitants of this sick and dying world, but today I want to focus on the first one. Here are the first two relevant verses for the worldwide message that God has for the people of planet Earth. Revelation 14 verse 6 says, Then I, this is the prophet John in vision, saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. So, Here we have the introduction. The angel, God's messenger, had the eternal gospel to proclaim to the whole earth. It is to be inclusive of everyone. No one is to be left out. You'll notice that this message is about the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. The messenger rules out Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and any other non-Christ-centred groups who believe they are saved by their good works. Who God uses to deliver this message must be one that is Christian, where it is taught and understood that no one will be given eternal life who does not accept Jesus Christ as their Saviour. In prophecy, an angel sometimes represents a message a proclamation, an announcement, and may include those who are part of spreading that message. When John the Baptist was asked who he was, he replied, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And that's from John 1 verse 23. I believe that the messages God has for people in these modern times is because we similarly live in a wilderness of error, unbelief and ungodliness. So, what was that first message that is to be delivered to the peoples of the earth? Revelation 14 verse 7 says, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Well, what's the main point of this announcement? Well, it's about worship, or the lack of it. 
In these modern times, the trend is towards secularism and humanism. Humanism is a rational, rationalist outlook or system of thought, attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. In other words, humanism rationalizes that there is no God. In case you never noticed, the public media effectively denies the existence of God as he hardly ever gets a mention. And what is taught in most schools, colleges and universities eliminates God. Even in some churches, God hardly gets a mention. That statement is supported by the fact that in the Anglican Church, priests have been appointed who are atheists. That's unbelievable, but it's true. Under Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the International Theological Commission published a paper accepting the Big Bang of 15 billion years ago and the evolution of all life, including humans, from microorganisms that formed approximately 4 billion years ago. Ratzinger was a Roman Catholic cardinal prior to becoming Pope Benedict XVI. The Catholic Church has withdrawn its belief in creation in favour of evolution. In their 2007 report, the Pew Research Centre published a document gathered from religious groups in the United States of the percentages of people who are members of those churches who agree that evolution is the best explanation for the origin of human life on earth. And here are some figures from that report. Buddhists, 81% believe that evolution is the best explanation of the origin of life on earth. Hindu, 80%. Jewish, would you believe, 77%. Unaffiliated groups, 72%. Catholic, 58%. Orthodox, 54%. Mainline Protestants, 51%, so it's about 50-50 there. Muslim, 45%. Historical Black Protestants, 38%. Evangelical Protestants, 24%. Mormon, 22%. Jehovah Witnesses, 8% and the total of the U.S. population, about 48%. In other words, about half of the population in the United States agree that evolution is an acceptable theory. Now, I recognise that many people find it hard to reconcile what the Bible has to say about origins with what the proponents of evolution have to say. Evolution is often presented as science, but it is not. It is conjecture, as scientific principle cannot and does not apply. However, there is a mighty tide of opinion that is presented in favour of evolution where God is completely ignored. But you need to be made aware of the impossibilities of evolution happening. And I know I've shared some of the arguments refuting evolution in the past, uh, 
But today, I want to share with you a few statements from leading world-renowned professors and teachers about the evolution theory. The first is from Dr. Paul Davies, who once taught at the Adelaide University. His statement was made in the year 2000 while he was at the Regent, while he was the Regent Professor of Fundamental Concepts of Science at the Arizona State University. He wrote, Obviously Darwinian evolution can operate only if life of some sort already exists. Darwinism can offer absolutely no help in explaining that all-important first step, the origin of life. But if the central principle of life fails to explain the origin of life, we're left with a problem. What other principle might explain how it first began? And then he adds, Nobody knows how a mixture of lifeless chemicals spontaneously organise themselves into the first living cell. The mere existence of life on Earth tells us nothing at all about how likely or unlikely it is or whether it happened elsewhere. Professor Simon Morris, Professor of Evolutionary Paleobiology at Cambridge University in England, teaches evolution, but he had this to say in relation to the commencement of life on Earth. To get beyond this prebiotic stage, which is probably universal, may be far more difficult than is popularly imagined. It involves central mysteries that still shroud our understanding of how to reach a functioning cell with all its complexities of replication, protein function and catalysis by enzymes. And what Dr. Morris says is that they, the evolutionists, haven't got a clue of how life arose from inert chemicals. Another statement, this time from Dr. Don Batten, writing about fossils that have been claimed to have been pre-human. It seems that almost every paleontologist who finds some primate, primate fossil claims that it demands the radical rewriting of the story of human evolution. This merely underlines the conjectural nature of the whole story. The hype over Darwin-year primate fossil known as Ida is an example, and more recently, Adi. As one evolutionist quipped some years ago in reference to human evolution, everybody knows fossils are fickle, Bones will sing any song you want to hear. In summary, Dr. Batten says that fossilised bones show the unreliability and instability of the ever-changing evolution theory. Now what I've shared with you today is a small sample of statements that throw extreme doubt and or refute evolution from within the evolutionist community itself. There are many others. Some of these discrediting statements have been collated in the book Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things, 
and I have this book in my library. I personally believe evolution is impossible despite the attempts to convince the general public that it's plausible. And I don't believe evolution is science. It's definitely not science. Dr. Batten described it as conjectural, meaning that evolution is only conjecture. There are other theories that attempt to explain the origins of life on Earth. One of these is that in its, in its formative years, Earth was visited by beings from outer space and these superintelligent beings were responsible for the formation of life on Earth. But, wait a minute, these so-called galactic visitors were supposedly themselves alive. They were supposedly intelligent. There is no mention of them taking inert atoms and compounds and making them live. In other words, become biotic. Now we're going to have a little break here and I'm going to share with you something special straight afterwards. Steal, they cheat and lie for wealth and what it will buy. But don't they know on the judgment day that gold and silver? Dark grave and know 
don't know if you've ever heard of the Miller-Urey experiment where some amino acids were produced in the, in the laboratory under strict controls. But that's as far as it went. No living cell was ever produced, let alone a living organism. Such experiments come under heavy criticism because the processes and chemicals are not random and not uncontrolled. There is intelligence involved in trying to provide the right conditions and the right chemicals to produce life. And though there have been many other leading scientists who've also attempted to produce life as in the Miller-Urey experiment, none have had success. And I'm prepared to say none will ever produce a single living organism from non-living chemicals because life comes from God and the original life on earth came from the hand of the life-giver God. Now back to Revelation 14.7 and I'll read that verse again. It says, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. There are three operative verbs in this verse. They are fear, give, and worship. To fear God means to honour and respect him. The message that is to go out to the world is that God exists and it's in people's own interest to recognise his existence and to be mindful of him in all they believe, think, say and do. To give God glory means that he is to have first place in your life. Recognise him as supreme. Self, spouse, children, friends and things must have a lower priority. Now there is a reason why we are to fear God and give him glory, and that's because he is our judge. In any court case when someone has to face trial, arguments and witness statements are heard and available evidence is taken into consideration. That happens first. But when all the arguments, statements and evidences have been heard, it's up to the presiding judge to pronounce judgment. That comes at the end of the trial. God's judgment comes just prior to the return of Jesus. It has to happen, otherwise God could be accused of being unfair. Everyone who has ever lived is subject to God's judgment. And here are the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew twelve thirty six. He said, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every, every empty word they have spoken. And of course, that will include their deeds. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13 add some further details. And John, the prophet, is writing. He said, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. The first message to be given to the world is to wake up to the reality of God, because you, whoever you are, will be subject to God's judgment. But whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You can read that in John 3.18. With all of the above in mind, the message contains the reason why human beings are to fear God and give him glory. The reason is because God is the creator of this world, including us. One of the reasons the end-time message is to be presented to the world is because of the false belief that's so prevalent in modern times that the world and what's in it came into being on its own by chance and with no intelligent input. Any reasonable person can see that with the complexity of living things that it's impossible for them to have self-formed and end up with everything in the right place and performing in the proper manner? God, God created this world and what's in it? Now I referred earlier to a book that's in my library, Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things, where some evolutionists point out that the evidence for accepting the made-by-self theory, is seriously lacking in credibility. But did you know that there is an army of scientists who recognise that God created the world and life? Statistically, these scientists amount to about 10% of the whole scientific community. I have another book, in six days where various outstanding scientists give their reasons in believing that the world was created by God. I believe our enemy Satan does not want people to recognise the hand of God in nature. If they get to know that God has created, there is every probability to find out that he's also Redeemer. And with that, possibly become one of his followers. And that's why the implausible false belief in evolution is so widespread. People's minds have been deliberately darkened by the Prince of Darkness. The first of the three angels' messages is about revealing light and truth to the inhabitants of this planet. My prayer is that you will be one of God's people, regardless of this secular and humanistic age in which we live.